Good morning, church. It's good to be back with you. I had an awesome opportunity to go on vacation down to Puerto Vallarta with my wife uh, last week, and it was super refreshing. And uh, it's good to be back with you, and it's good to hear about all the different things that God's been up to uh, since I've been gone, uh, hearing uh, just about more life change taking place as Jesus is moving in you and through you. I wanted to give you an exciting update as to where we are as a church. Uh, one of the things that we've been praying about and seeking the Lord in and getting wisdom in is in regards to uh, what does it look like for us to eventually hire a full-time worship minister. And that's something that we believe that God is calling uh, on us to do and to take a next step in as our church is growing. And this is an area we've been actually praying over for at least a year. Um, and so one of the things that we've been asking is say, Lord, what, what does that look like? Who, who does that look like? Who is that person? And we are still trying to figure out who that person is. And so we're asking you right now, if you know anybody that is a worship uh, minister, a worship leader, and is looking to be in the vocational ministry, uh, we're wanting you to get the word out. But in addition to that, until we find our full-time uh, worship minister, we have hired DJ Marks as our interim worship minister for the time being. Yes, we can celebrate that. Absolutely. <laughs> DJ led you this morning and does a phenomenal job, and we are so thankful for him that he's going to be playing a significant role for us as a church uh, during the time being, and that as we continue to pray and seek the Lord and what it is that he's inviting us into next, uh, that, that person, we believe God's got somebody for us, and uh, we're excited to begin the uh, really discernment prayer and, and seeking out um, potential candidates when it comes to that position. So uh, asking you to be praying, asking you to get the word out, and this is a huge next step for us as a church. Uh, we are wrapping up uh, the character of Daniel today in the life of Babylon sermon series. Next week we are going to be wrapping up the sermon series, uh, looking at a very special character in scripture, but today we're going to be wrapping up Daniel, and I don't know about you, but Daniel's been a significant challenge and a significant uh, encouragement to me in a lot of different areas. And if you're new today, you might be saying, well, what is this sermon series about, Life in Babylon and who's Daniel? Life in Babylon is a series where we are looking at characters in Scripture that are living out faithfulness to God about 600 years before the time of Christ. And it's a time where God is actually handed over His people uh, for judgment in regards to their lack of faithfulness to Him and disciplining them as a nation. And he's doing it by actually sending them to Babylon. You may say, well, where's Babylon? There's a map we've been referring to regularly in regards to where is Babylon. It's, it's 1,600 miles away from Israel. Modern-day Iraq is, is where it would be considered. And this is an area and region where uh, we started uh, the story of Daniel, where Babylon is in power. We've now moved through history. We're now in the, in the time of the Medes and the Persians are now in power, have taken over the Babylonian kingdom. And Daniel and his friends are still in exile. They're still living out faithfulness in the midst of, of being separated from their native land, in the midst of um, being conquered. They're living out faithfulness. And last week, Joe did a great job of asking the question as we looked at the story of Daniel in the lion's den. He asked this question, do you have a rhythm of cultivating a relationship with God that enables you to not live in fear even when it feels like you're being thrown into the lion's den or if you literally are being thrown into the lion's den? And we see persecution of Christians happening all across the world still today. 
and a willingness to stay faithful to God's call no matter of the circumstances they find themselves in. In what ways are you needing to remain steadfast in your faith? And so that was last week. We looked at the Daniel and the lion's den. Here's what I want to uh, just ask this week. If we're called to cultivate a rhythm of relationship with God, what are the rhythms that God seems to honor? What are the rhythms that God seems to honor? And what are the things that we, as God's people, must be steadfast in? Just to be honest with you, as I enter into this sermon with you today, here's the fear that I have. If you have been just starting to walk with Jesus, if walking with Jesus is something new for you, it's something that you've just started growing in in the last five years, you may receive the sermon today and go, man, that's a lot of information. You might be overwhelmed, and I just want to encourage you with whatever the little thing is that Jesus is inviting you to be obedient and do that this week. And for the rest of you who maybe have been following Jesus for a really long time, you may enter into the sermon today and you may hear you say, oh, I've heard this sermon before. And my fear is you go, oh, I've heard this sermon before. You just kind of move on. My hope and my desire is that you would not allow the regular, you would not allow, I guess, the, the message you've heard before, that your heart would not become complacent to the, to the thing that you may see as boring. That God would maybe speak to you in a refreshing way, maybe in the words that you go, well, I've, I've heard this before. That you would be obedient to whatever it is that God's inviting you into. Because I believe this, that God does his greatest work in the boring. God does his greatest work in the boring. So what are the rhythms that God seems to honor? What are the things we must remain steadfast in and what are the six things that god honored in daniel we are now in daniel chapter 9 if you want to head to daniel chapter 9 in your bible or on your phone daniel chapter 9 uh we are getting to the end of daniel's time uh, we are in the midst of watching daniel finish well in daniel chapter 9 verse 1 it says this in the year of darius son of xerxes a me by descent who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. Uh, what is the time from our last passage in Daniel chapter 6? This is the same king, maybe a year later in, involved in his reign. Uh, Daniel is nearing 80 years old. 80 years old. And has been in captivity the majority of his life. 80 years old. And I want you to notice what he's doing. At 80 years old, what he's staying faithful to at 80 years old. Verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. What is Daniel doing? Daniel, at 80 years old, is staying consistent in pursuing God's word. He's consistently pursuing God's word. He is reading from the prophet Jeremiah, which I find fascinating on a couple different levels. Number one is that uh, I think we need to be reminded that this idea of us pursuing God's word together, you go, oh yeah, I'm supposed to read my Bible, pastor. That's what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. And that we are... Continuing on the tradition of Daniel that Daniel started 3,000 years ago, roughly. 2,600 years ago, however you want to add up the math. 
pursuing God's word that Jeremiah wrote to his people and saying, hey guys, you need to be ready to go into captivity and this is what it looks like and it's gonna be difficult, but this is what it looks like. We've been talking about Jeremiah through this whole sermon series about being a people that are faithful to God in the midst of captivity and, and Daniel is sitting here going, all right, I, Lord, you said 70 years. We're getting close to that. We're getting close to that. And Daniel is pursuing God's word in the midst of captivity, even at 80 years old. He is still reading God's word. He is still reading and pursuing what it is that he's supposed to do and how he's supposed to live. We have to remember something we talked about a couple weeks ago. That if we're going to have a relationship with the Lord, it starts with us being a people that are pursuing his word. Every day. Every day. This is what Daniel's doing. I perceive, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. He's recognizing this. This should be coming to an end, Lord. So what does he do? Verse 3. So I turned to the Lord and God plead and turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Number two, what does he do? He's seeking God's face in prayer. He's seeing God's face in prayer. He's going to the Lord. Lord, I'm pleading with you in prayer and petition, fasting, sackcloth and ashes. I'm seeking your face. I want to know you. I want to hear from you. I want to understand from you. I love what Dr. Randall Smith says. One who seeks answers from the past is a historian. One who seeks answers from humanity and culture is an anthropologist. One who seeks answers from the Bible is a theologian. But one who seeks answers from God is a believer. I want to ask you this question. How do you seek God? How do you see God? Do you only see God when things are difficult? Have you ever noticed that? That oftentimes when it comes to us walking and choosing and, and pursuing God, that we talk to God more when things get rough. Have you noticed that? But when things are going well, it's like, I'm good, God. But are you a person that no matter what life brings you, whether it's good or it's bad, that you continue to seek the face of God, to understand Him, to hear Him, to talk to Him? Are your, are your answers to your questions, is it built around, I want to know the almighty living God who came and died for me? Or are your answers to your questions tied to what I want in this life? Those are two totally different targets. And Daniel was someone that we can see over and over and over and over again that he consistently is pursuing God's word. He's consistently pursuing God's face, having conversation speaking to him wanting to have relationship with god john owen says this when an individual is in secret on his knees before god that is who he really is and no more and just be honest with you i i've been wrestling with this a lot what does my life look like Am I pursuing the Lord, not only in regards to his scriptures, but just his face, talking to him, and, and 
this is a sidebar. Uh, part of the reason why vacation, at least for me, is good. Because in the midst of all the craziness and the busyness, to just sit with God and have conversation with God, how can I be a part of a conversation with God every single day, not just when time allows, but to get to the core of seeking God's face every single day? Daniel, as we see throughout the scripture from last week, this week, these were the two things that set him apart from all the other people during his time. Seeking God's word, seeing God's face in prayer, but even how Daniel prayed was different than, than everybody else. Not only did he do it, but how he prayed was different. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love and those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and we have done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings our princes and our ancestors and the people of the land. What's well, Daniel's prayer? It's a, it's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of repentance. And it's a prayer that when I look at my own life, is my own life a life where I'm actually praying to the Lord, yes, asking the things that I want, but even more so than that, owning the things that I need to own, a prayer of repentance. When things don't go well in my life, in your life, what's your first response? Is it to deflect or reflect? Everybody say deflect today. Everybody say reflect. Do you deflect or reflect? When things aren't going well, maybe it has nothing to do with what you're doing, but are you a person that deflects or that reflects? And it reminds me of, of ping pong. Anybody play ping pong? You ever been in a conversation with your spouse that's not going well? It's an argument? Do you deflect or do you reflect? Do you play ping pong with your spouse? In conversation with God, your spouse, conflict, whatever it looks like, is it deflect or is it reflect? Is it ping pong? You say, what are we talking about ping pong? You know Forrest Gump? You seen that movie? Remember that scene where they're like, whoa, whoa. Woof, woof, playing ping pong, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Ever been in an argument where it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth? And usually in that conversation, as you're playing ping pong, you're deflecting, there's this phrase that pops up a lot, and maybe you'll catch yourself saying it in the midst of conversation with people about you, a situation, it's yeah, but. Ever heard the yeah, but? Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Here's why I'm right. When it comes to your marriage, relationships, conflict, when it comes to your relationship with God, is it yeah, but? Yeah, God, but. Or is it reflect? Is it ping pong? Or is it a mirror? Is it a mirror? You're talking to your spouse, you're talking with God. Is it reflection? Okay, I'm going to listen to what God has to say from his word about who I am and what I'm doing, and I'm going to reflect. I'm going to contemplate 
I'm going to self-reflect. I'm going to evaluate before I ping-pong back. And what Daniel, we can see from Daniel, is not only did he seek God's word, not only did he seek the face of God in conversation, but we see quite a bit of reflection, and not only reflection, repentance. God, we have wronged you. We have not, I have not done what I was supposed to do. And it actually goes on even further. Look at this, verse 7. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Want to talk about the goodness of God? He's merciful. He's forgiving. And even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants and prophets. All of Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. Have you noticed the reoccurring phrase? We have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning our sins and giving our attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. And Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger, your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Make your ear, eyes, uh, may open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God, and do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Daniel is seeking the face of God. Daniel is seeking his word. Daniel is a man who seeks after the repentance of his own heart and the heart of his people. And he's saying, Lord, it's been nearly 70 years. And I'm asking you to hear us. I'm asking you to send us back. And not only that, but here's the piece that I love about Daniel. He has extreme ownership over himself and over all of God's people. Have you noticed that? He's not only calling on repentance for himself, but for all of God's people. He's taking extreme ownership over the whole situation. And in fact, if you read what he's saying, he's actually taking ownership for stuff that didn't even happen in his lifetime. He's praying 
and taking ownership of stuff that he wasn't even responsible for. You want to talk about leading differently than today? today? We have a hard time taking ownership of ourselves, let alone our whole community, let alone our whole nation. When was the last time that you saw the things that were happening in our nation and you thought to yourself, God, I want to take ownership for me, my community, our nation, and tell you how we have wronged you. When was the last time you prayed that way? To be honest with you, I don't know if I've ever prayed that way. Or is it quick to go, man, those people, those people, they're the problem. Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel just takes ownership for all of it. And if you look at throughout Scripture, you'll notice that there's very few people, but the great ones, this is what they do. Moses takes responsibility for everybody. Even he messed up from time to time in regards to that. Daniel takes ownership for everybody. Nehemiah, who is going to follow after Daniel, Nehemiah chapter 1 takes responsibility for everybody. Esther takes responsibility for everybody. It's very rare, but when they do, they are great people of faith to say, God, I have a part to play. We are all in this together. And it goes against everything that we've been taught as being an individualized individual uh, people. We're actually called to think about the welfare of the community, the nation. And take ownership of it. This is what Daniel does. He takes complete ownership. And I think he does this because he understands that from generation to generation, we receive things from generation to generation, and we have to actually live out the fruit, whether that's good fruit or bad fruit, from generation to generation, what gets passed on. Are you with me this morning, church? You are a product of what your mom and dad and your grandma and grandpa and your great grandma and grandma grandpa passed on to you and your kids will carry the good and the bad of your leadership. And Daniel understands this. And he's not willing to just shy away from it. He's willing to actually embrace and understand we have not done it completely right, Lord. He's not quick to blame. He just takes ownership. And he understands that how he leads today will impact the next generation in a significant way. He understands 1 Peter. Joe read this last week. 1 Peter chapter 1. But I want you to just notice a little bit different layer of 1 Peter chapter 1. Remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as, what's that say? As temporary residents. This idea of Babylon continues on even in the New Testament. Temporary residents or another, the other word would be what? What have we been using? Exiles. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Who's that? All the people have come before you. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb 
of God. Daniel just takes ownership of all of it and recognizes that the way he leads today, his kids and his grandkids, they will experience, the whole nation will experience the good and the bad that he leads with. And so it causes us to ask this question, causes me to ask this question, what am I doing today with my family? What am I doing with our church? What am I doing in our community that is actually changing the trajectory of where we're headed? And sometimes, I don't know if you feel this way, sometimes it feels like, can I really make a difference? Can I really change the trajectory of a community? Let my, my own family, can I actually do that? I want to tell you, yes, you can. And some of you are here today. You are changing the trajectory of your family. Your kids, your grandkids. Because you've chosen to follow and trust Jesus. And you're completely orienting your life around him. And I want to tell you, your family line is going to change because of your faithfulness. That's what Daniel believed. And he took extreme ownership. Verse 20, while he was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding and as soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Number five, I want you to notice that Daniel's actually attentive to what God is actually saying to him in this moment. You might be saying, well, yeah, an angel appeared to him. Like, not hard to be attentive. Some of you, most of us, I guess, have not been praying after the Lord and had an angel just show up in the living room with you, right? Never experienced that. However, I would say this. So often God answers our prayers and we don't even see or notice that God answered our prayers, or we don't even acknowledge that he answered the prayer. But Daniel's listening and experiencing God in a powerful way. His attentiveness is right here. Okay, Lord, I'm hearing from you because I'm highly esteemed. I'm paying attention. And then we get into the stuff that is always fun to read in the Bible, where you go, what does that mean? It's called Prophecy. This is the stuff that's not only is it fun to read and speculate, but unfortunately, oftentimes it causes division within a church. I just want to read with you what God says to Daniel. As Daniel's praying, God, I want to go back home. It's almost been 70 years. When are you sending us back home? And this is God's answer to him. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand from this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble... After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, 
You will set up an abomination which causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. There's a whole lot of sevens, and what in the heck was just said, I don't know, is what you may be thinking. Okay? Let's try and work through this a little bit. Daniel 9, vision and prophecy. What is being communicated? Finish transgressions, end sin, atone for wickedness, everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, anoint the most holy place, anointed one will be put to death, city and sanctuary will be destroyed, war will continue, there will be a confirmation of a covenant, put an end to sacrifice and offering, an abomination that causes desolation. That's a whole lot of what? Who does that entail? Jesus. A lot of Jesus in there of what he comes and does. The big question is, when is this all going to happen? And what does all this mean? And I'll just tell you this. There's lots of speculation. There's lots of debate. I'll just tell you, from my perspective, a lot of what we're seeing on the screen happens from 30 to 70 AD during the time of Jesus and after Jesus. But there's lots of debate in regards to this prophecy and what it all entails what I want you to notice about this is that God gives Daniel more than what he's asking for. Daniel's asking, God, would you send us back? And God gives him a whole lot more than just that. It doesn't really answer his question. And it reminds me that sometimes when I pray to God, he doesn't necessarily answer my question, but he gives me a different answer. He gives me a different perspective. And usually that perspective is a perspective of Justin, I need you to stay focused on me. I need you to stay focused on me for the long haul. Which gets us to number six in regards to Daniel. That Daniel was a man who was marked as long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. Daniel's 80 years old. And he's living out the things that we talked about, these six things that you're called to live out, a long obedience in the same direction, pursuing God's word, seeking God's face in prayer, repentance, extreme ownership, attentiveness, and a long obedience towards Jesus. These are the things that God honored in Daniel. And these are the things that I believe that every single one of us has to ask the question, am I being obedient in these things? Will you be a person at 60 years old that is committed to these things? So I've, I've heard this sermon before, Justin. That's great. Here's my, here's my ask. Are you being obedient in them still today? It's, it's just this simple, boring piece at times that God begins to do a work in us. Um, we're starting indoor baseball practice already. So if my illustrations get towards baseball again, my apologies. But I literally was sitting with 13-year-olds yesterday and we were doing what we call dailies. There's a reason why we call them dailies, because you need to do them 
And you know what we were doing? We got down on our knees with a bare hand and a baseball, and we were rolling them to each other and receiving them with one hand. Some of the kids that have been with me for a year, two years, they're like, oh, I know this routine. For the kids that are new with me, they're like, But all these little movements where your hand was, all these little details in the daily, in the boring. I go, do you know who does these drills? Major League Baseball players do these drills every single day. Reading God's Word every single day. Day. Seeking God's face in prayer every single day. Repentance. I can tell you, I've got stuff to repent for every single day of how I blow it. Taking extreme ownership over myself, my family, my kids, this community, our community, every single day. We're really good at being daily about lots of other stuff that at the end of the day, it, it's not even going to matter. But God, the Alpha and the Omega, His Word, Him, He will endure forever. What are you doing every single day? It's going to last for eternity. Because it actually changes the trajectory of your heart. It actually changes the trajectory of your family. It actually changes the trajectory of your community, of our nation. When you commit to every single day doing the things that God wants. So here's my challenge for you this week. What would it look like if us as a church chose to do the things that Daniel did, not only daily, but let's add the next one, the next layer or the next one up that our culture, our society in the United States tends to struggle with, and that is food. What if we fasted together as a church on Wednesday this week? What if we all chose to do that this week? How would God maybe work and speak to us in maybe amazing ways? What would it look like if in our home groups we talked about all the fears, the worries, concerns, and some of you are diabetic, and I totally get that. Like, do what you need to do in order to make it through the fast. But what does it look like for you to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to say no to something and say yes to Jesus. What if we did that this Wednesday? How would God maybe speak to us in a maybe profound way that he's never spoke to us before. Some of you, I've never fasted before. Wednesday. How might we be different because we chose to seek God's face in that way? Would you join me in that on Wednesday? Would you join me in fasting on Wednesday? And if you can't do Wednesday, do Thursday. Do Tuesday. Choose a day this week. I'm going to seek God's face. And I'm going to use this to change my daily with the Lord. Believing 
that if I'm long obedient in the same direction, it's going to change me, my family, my community. Do we know it's for Daniel? We're still talking about it. Still talking about it. For any of you this morning that maybe have never surrendered to Jesus, this is the starting point for you. Who is Jesus? And as we come to a time of communion where we get to actually have a conversation with Jesus about what it is that he's inviting us into, I want to invite you just to have that conversation with Jesus. I want and need to make you Lord. For the rest of us, what is the thing that Jesus is inviting you into this week? As we get ready for communion, as servants come forward, if you have not received communion and want to take communion together as a family, would you raise your hand? These amazing servants would love to serve you the elements. I just want to invite you to just have a conversation with Jesus this morning about what it is that he's inviting you into. What are you going to trust him in? Are you willing to make him Lord of your life? And as we wrap up, we'll take communion together as a family.